This evening I'd like to speak about the ground we rest upon could say a question of faith In practice we are invited and have opportunity to see again and again the the shifting ground of our experience to see how things keep moving and changing to see how the things that we try and take hold of that we try and solidify or fix whether they be outside or around us or within our very own heart, mind and body that these things do keep changing and we see that in that we can't actually rely on things that are changing to provide us a firm place to rest a place we can land and in a, in a world in a reality where things are changing where things are uncertain where conditions are unreliable we might I think appropriately ask ourselves or question what can we rest upon what can we rest upon and this is essentially the question of faith faith the word in the, um, the language of the Buddha is sada and sada is translated in a number of ways but one uh, primary way is to rest the heart upon a sense of faith is something of resting the heart upon and in that it can sound like quite an evocative actually even an attractive quality to cultivate, to develop we might feel a, a sense of being drawn towards being able to rest our heart upon something and yet our life experience can easily be one of considerable disappointment and disillusionment with people, with things with religions and ideologies at times with ourselves it seems we can have a sense of losing faith losing a sense of trusting in life trusting in what it means to actually live well that we could actually discover this it kind of can be a word that gets a certain strong association from our exposure to the way it's used within particular religious contexts as being something of a demand or expectation of blind and unwavering belief and when we don't find in ourselves that we have such fixed or certain or reliable beliefs we don't subscribe to something in that way we might feel we have no faith but in fact there is always faith being expressed in our life because in truth we cannot act without a degree of faith not a single thing could we do without trusting in something just to take your seat on the cushion that you're sitting on or the chair is to actually have faith that when you rest upon it you will not sink through it it's kind of simple, kind of ordinary, kind of obvious no one would be surprised to discover this is true that we won't sink through our chair that it'll hold our weight 
But if we sit on the earth, it'll hold us up. And yet if we didn't trust that, it would be a much more dicey business coming into the meditation hall. So approximately half of the um, meditation places were located on quicksand. You didn't know which one. We'd have to kind of be a lot more careful as we selected our seat. We wouldn't just kind of plonk down on it. But the fact that we do is that there is something that we have faith in. In a simple way. Simply that the, in this case, our chair, our cushion or the earth holds us up. To be able to stand on the earth and not sink into it as though it were quicksand. This is something of a metaphor for us, of what it means to come to be able to stand on our life and not feel or find ourselves to be sinking within it. Because it can be for us that as we start to look at our life, as we start to see how it is changing, how it is uncontrollable, unreliable, unpredictable in so many ways, and not just our life, but of course our very own hearts and minds and bodies. As we face this, we can feel as though we are flailing, perhaps, as though we are perhaps thinking. And yet, this is born of a placing of our faith in an unskillful or unuseful way, in the idea that happiness and satisfaction will come for us through being able to control those uncontrollable things. If we place our faith in that belief and that idea that through gaining or avoiding experiences, gaining the pleasant, the enjoyable, the flattering, avoiding the difficult, the um, challenging, if we place our faith in that and the idea that we can therefore control life to make it the way we want it, then we will experience our life as something we're almost falling through. Because that is not something that will actually bear our weight or the weight of our life. It has no real substance to it because we cannot control the way things are. And yet if we place our faith in the possibility of founding our actions, the way we live our life, in wisdom and compassion, we actually take this as something to rest upon that we can actually come to see the way things are and actually live in accordance with them this is the basis of a different kind of faith a faith that will actually justify our resting upon it because faith in Dharma practice and Buddhist teaching is something that we have to really check out for ourselves. That which we place faith in, we have to examine and see, can it bear? Can it hold us up? It's like to test the chairs. Some of the chairs around Guy House are getting kind of old and rickety. I don't know if you've noticed them. You sometimes come in and kind of have to give them a bang or a thump to make the joint go back together. And if no one notices it for long enough, eventually one of the joints will come undone and you know, someone will have a, a rather wobbly seat and hopefully nothing worse. But to actually examine what we rest our life upon. This is an important question. And in practice we actually have the opportunity to do that in, in, the, in the practice that we're doing here together. We actually begin from a place of faith. You might not believe it, you might not think of it or feel it that way, 
But just in order to engage in this practice, there must be some sense of trust in the possibility that this is going to be useful. Even if we don't know how, even if we're not sure it's possible. But there's something in us that recognizes that there's something possible here. Or if we wouldn't even try. We wouldn't even turn up at a retreat, let alone stay and continue in our practice. And so we actually do have this capacity of faith in us. And it has a very important role as being really the seed quality in the, the, the what are known as the, um, the five spiritual faculties or the five powers when they become fully developed. And the, the faculties, the spiritual faculties are actually the way that our journey moves. It begins with faith, with a sense of being able to rest on something. And in this case, resting on the understanding that actually we can cultivate the heart and mind. That we can develop wisdom and compassion to meet our lives, even though we can't control it. We can learn to meet it well, skillfully. And in that faith, in that sense of trusting, even though we're not sure yet, but we just see maybe it's possible for me. Others speak of it. I've heard people talk about this possibility. So I'll try, I'll look for myself. And in doing that, we make an effort. We put forth energy. We apply ourselves. At the beginning, we're a bit sceptical. I mean, we, we try meditating. We're trying quite hard all of the first day, and it doesn't seem like much is happening. We're kind of busy and scattered and restless and tired and drowsy and confused and irritated and all that. And we think, mm, I don't know if anything's happening here. But actually, if we keep doing that, we start to notice that actually things are starting to settle down. Actually, gosh, I'm starting to actually discover that I really do have a breath. It's not just something that meditation teachers talk about. It's not just a theoretical thing. It's actually an experience, yeah. And and we actually start to realize that mindfulness is happening. This is mindfulness. It's not something fancy or esoteric. It's just simply those moments in which we know where we are. It's not even just the moments when we're with the breath. It's equally those moments when we realize where we are that isn't the breath. In that moment, we're there. We're mindful. We're present. And as we see that process going on, we start to notice that sometimes actually we can be really present, really steady. We sense the mind starting to settle, the heart starting to to kind of gather itself into where we are, to come back to where we are in a way that we, we find ourselves becoming more concentrated, more focused. The, the sense of being fragmented or scattered starts to soften or dissolve and we actually feel that quality of concentration. And this is the development or the process of the, the faculties, the spiritual faculties that start with faith. Then comes energy and the application of energy is effort, wise, skillful effort. Mindfulness that arises as we apply that effort and a concentration, a collectedness that starts to happen despite all evidence to the contrary at the beginning of the retreat. Yes, our mind can settle and steady and focus. And as our mind starts to steady and settle and focus, we start to see things. We start to notice. Oh, that's why I get irritated when I'm uncomfortable. We start to realize what's going on. We start to notice, gosh, things are really changing, aren't they? We start to notice something about what's going on. We start to actually have insight. We start to see that when we're really just present, actually, 
things are okay. In fact, sometimes it's rather wonderful. Even though there's nothing exciting, or nothing particularly difficult going on, just kind of just being here has got something to it. And we think, oh, it's true. There's actually some value in this process. And we've moved beyond the sense of just maybe, and hopefully, that kind of hopeful faith, to actually a sense of verified faith where we actually see. And all of us, each of you, I'm sure, have that process going on where you start to see. It happens, and we start to have insights. We start to understand not just that being present is actually kind of sweet sometimes, but also that sometimes it's kind of challenging. Whereas that when we're just here, when we're not so caught up in the past, we're not so caught up in the future, actually there's something about that that's actually challenging because we're not quite sure what to do. We're not quite sure who we are in that space. There's not such a reference point to take hold of. And and we realise that much as we yearn to be present, much as we might long for the thinking mind to finally be quiet, for the emotions to calm down, for the body to be comfortable at ease and at ease, actually when it happens, when we're comfortable, quiet, calm, at ease, it's nice for a little while. And then pretty soon we can start to think, is this all? Isn't there something else? This is boring or this isn't... You know, this isn't what I came here for. I want some excitement. And we start to think, oh, that's why I'm so busy in my life. That's why it's so hard to be quiet and still and at ease. Because something in me struggles with that condition. Something in me isn't at ease. It'd be tragic to discover, wouldn't it, that peace was a condition we kept getting bored with. You know, we've yearned for peace all these years. Suddenly we discover it. It turns out to be boring. Tragedy. But maybe there's something to be understood in that. Maybe what's happening isn't so random and accidental as it seems. Really, there are no accidents. There is a lawfulness in what is happening in our inner process and in our lives. Which as we become more focused, more still, more steady, as we really connect more fully and deeply with our experience, we start to see it. Not necessarily in words or concepts, but we start to almost get a gut feeling for what's going on. At least at times. And that actually reinforces the sense of initial faith, that we say, oh yes, this is worth it. This does make sense. And that actually inspires us to renew the engagement, the effort, the application of energy. And so the mindfulness deepens. The concentration brightens. And the possibility of wisdom and insight is enhanced. And in this way there's a cyclic process that goes on in which the verifying of our initial hope that this is useful actually deepens into a confidence and a courage, a courage to really wholeheartedly let ourselves go into this process. And in this we can see that it's not about becoming passive. It's faith sometimes has this association for us as kind of like, you know, just, you know, certainly one sometimes hears this in a kind of traditional thing, if I have faith and you know, I just don't need to bother, things will be okay, no problem, everything will take care of itself. And at one level that's true. And yet at another level we actually have to engage with our life. 
in order for that sense of things will be okay to actually truly be uh, verified, to actually be accurate. There's a story I once heard on the radio of a a man who had a, a deep faith in God. He really believed in God and he was a devout Christian. Very admirable in that, it would seem. And one day in his village, a storm came. It was raining very hard. And he wasn't concerned. Others in the village were a bit worried, a bit upset. What are we going to do if it keeps raining? The river is rising. He said, don't worry, I have faith. There will be no problem. But the rain kept falling. The river kept rising and it rose up to the edge of all the houses. So the people decided, we better leave. We're going. They started uh, heading off down the road looking for higher ground. But this particular man, he said, hmm, things will be fine. I have faith in God. There's no problems here. The water rose up halfway up and started, uh, up over the steps of his house started flooding into the first floor. And he went up into the second floor and a boat came along. A rowboat came along and said, jump into the, jump into the boat. We can save you. He said, no, no, I'll be all right. God will save me. The boat went away. And the water kept rising. He went up to the next floor of his house. He had quite a poor house, fortunately. And, and a motorboat came past with the Coast Guard in it. And they said, this is the last call. Is there anybody here? The man just waved out of his attic window. He said, I'm fine. Don't worry. God will save me. And the motorboat went off, obviously looking for other people to not going to waste their time with this person. And the water kept rising. He climbed up onto the roof. And as he was on the roof, the water was rising up around his ankles. And he was sitting right on the top, up around his waist, and a helicopter came past with a loudspeaker saying, Take hold of the rope ladder, we'll pull you to safety. And the man said, No, no, I, I'm all right. God will save me. I have faith. The water kept rising. The man drowned. And he went, as one would expect, straight up to heaven, not straight through. No questions asked. He had incredible faith. He went up to God. He said, God, I don't understand what happened. I had such faith in you. I don't understand. And God said, I don't understand either. I sent two boats and a helicopter. (laughs) (laughs) It's like what life is sending to us is actually what we have to trust in. So often we're looking for something else to trust in, saying, no, that's not it. That's not the solution. That's not the answer. We kind of want the sort of the, the cosmic lift, you know. It would be nice, but I don't know that many people that it happens to. So what is it to actually kind of take responsibility for ourselves in this life, in this experience? I, I had a had an experience actually kind of quite similar to this myself recently. I just saw how strong it is for us to want someone else to save us. It would be great, wouldn't it? You know, if someone could come along and make it all better. The ultimate, you know, fairy godmother. I was teaching a retreat just a few weeks ago in Sweden at a lovely uh, Zen retreat centre. Um, and it's, uh, I was uh, just going to the bathroom, going to the toilet before going to um, lead a small group interview of the same sort as we're having here. And I went in, locked myself into the bathroom and uh, did what I had to do. When I tried to come out, something about the lock had gone wrong. And I couldn't unlock the door. And so there was I in this little room, 
and the interview group was happening about, you know, ten yards away at the other end of the building, all these people waiting for me, and I was thinking, I'm locked in here. Actually, it was more than ten yards, probably fifteen yards away. I think, well, I could yell, but what could they do? I mean, I'm locked in here, and the lock is in here with me, and the very point of this thing is you can't unlock it from the other side. Yet something in me kept wanting just to call out, help! Or most particularly call out for the name of the manager who I knew. He used to manage at Gaia House years ago. And uh, I knew he was a very practical guy. And the sense of me wanting to call out, You're on! Um, you know, help me! And yet it was really clear to me that no one could do anything here unless, you know, they were going to batter down the door. But I was just playing with this lock. And what was really interesting is I said, like, I thought this knob can't be on properly. So I kept pushing it on harder, pushing it on harder, trying to turn it. And then at some point I stopped pushing on it and I pulled it a bit. And actually what it needed to be was on really loosely, like wobbly. And then it turned and I let myself out. I wasn't too late for the group. You know, I'd be waiting a few minutes wondering, now is this guy going to show up? But it was really fascinating to me that sense of, like, someone save me, please. And actually I wasn't in any great danger, you know, the worst things have happened to people. And I'm sure the, you know, the retreats would have been fine if I hadn't turned up. They might have even come to look for me. But that sense of wanting someone else or something else to do it for us. Like wanting that maybe if I just sit down here and, you know, turn up and then I trust in the Buddha, or I trust in the Dharma, or I trust in meditation, then it'll all happen. Actually, it seems a little bit more than that. It's great to have that trust and that faith. It's like, okay, yeah, a large part of it is just turn up. Just be here. And yet, it needs a little spark to go with that. A spark of interest. A spark of of response. That actually a large amount of what we can have faith in is our capacity to respond our capacity to respond to life. So we're not, uh, we're not able to control what happens to us, within us, around us. But what we can do is profoundly transform the way we respond to what is going on. How we move in relationship to our experience. To actually see that we can be present in the face of the difficult. At the beginning of a retreat, we might really doubt it's possible for me. And yet, as we stay here, we see that, oh, actually, I can be present here. I can be here in the face of discomfort in the body. I can be here in the face of a mind that's going crazy at times, it seems. That's spinning round and round and round, looking for an escape and not finding one. And with that, to see that there's a refuge offered to us in the present moment. When we're afraid, when there's anxiety, when there's fear, whatever it might be about, whether what's happening now or what's happening or might be going to happen in the future, the effect of fear is to take us away from where we are to somewhere that we're not, which is the, the story of fear that tells us something about the future. What if? What it will be like if this condition happens or this condition continues? It's never about what is it right now to be here with this. And with fear, to understand that it's always happening right now. Fear is an experience happening right now. 
whether it be anxiety, whether it be fear, whether it be more extreme expressions of the same quality. That it's something happening now. And when we recognize that, we can actually come back to what it feels like, what the experience actually is now. When we can do that, we see that actually fear doesn't have any power over us other than our own unwillingness to experience it as it is in this moment. To actually face it. The story of fear is so much about and what will happen if. And we don't actually usually answer the question what will happen. If we start busily thinking of how can I prevent it happening? What will I do? What should I change? How can I fix this or fix that? Sometimes it's not even so coherent, it's just a more, ah. But it's always focused away from where we are. So come back. Come back. So you can actually trust where you are as the place you need to be. Then fear loses its power. There's a poem by Wendell Berry called I Go Among Trees. He said, or he writes, I go among trees and sit still. All my stirring becomes quiet around me like circles on water. My tasks lie in their places where I left them, asleep like cattle. Then what I am afraid of comes. I live for a while in its sight. What I fear in it leaves it, and the fear of it leaves me. It sings and I hear its song. I really like the imagery of the poem, the sense of just sitting still and allowing one's stirring to become quiet. It's kind of what we do here on the retreat, allowing the busyness to kind of just slowly soften out, like circles on water. They just kind of fade slowly. And putting down our busyness, the things we have to do, whether in the future or even at the moment. Asleep like cattle. It's like they're still there, but they're not really bothering us right now. And when we make that space, when we open ourselves in that way, quite naturally what can arise into that space is the things we're not easy with. Ways we feel about ourselves or the world. Experiences of past or fears of future that aren't easy to be with and yet to actually to live for a while in their sight to actually be present in the face of the object of fear is to see that the fear in itself isn't in the object fear actually leaves it when we're with the experience when we're not acting on the fear trying to escape it Fear actually dissolves. And we hear the song of the experience. And the song of all experience, the universal song of experience, is its movement, is its change. That even the difficult and the fearful are not forever. That if we can stop, if we can rest, if we can not resist or struggle with, then the difficult conditions move and change by themselves. And that that we actually can respond to that situation, to that condition from that place of being connected to where we are we can actually bring a sense of kindness to 
ourselves in a place of fear. Or just find a connection with it, with a quality of trust, that although we don't know what will happen, that if in this moment we can be here and meet this experience, difficult as it might be, then in the next moment when we arrive there, or the future moment when it comes, in that moment also we'll be able to be present, we'll be able to connect, and we'll find the response that we need. When we lose that sense of faith in the possibility of our life and the capacity of our heart to hold it, to embrace it, we easily become confused and paralysed, unwilling to take any of the options available because all of them are uncertain. And this is life. It's always uncertain. It's always like that. And yet, when we have that quality of faith, it allows us to act in the face of the uncertainty of life. Faith has a relationship to mindfulness and wisdom as well. In a very direct way, the practice of mindfulness, we engage in it to see what's happening. And mindfulness reveals, most importantly, not breaths or steps or experiences, it does that, but as a vehicle for showing us where we hold on. Mindfulness shows us where we hold on. That's really what it's revealing to us. The places where we get caught, where we contract, where we resist or grasp. And we see what it's like to be doing that. In mindfulness we see those places of resistance and how painful they are. We see those places of grasping and how contracted and tight it feels to be caught in that condition. And wisdom sees that this is suffering and we want to let it go. It sees the need for letting go. Wisdom sees the need for letting go. It's that simple. But actually letting go as you may have discovered, isn't so simple. <coughs> it's so, always so easy for us. It's like, the f- even though we see that holding on and resisting is unsatisfactory, that doesn't necessarily allow us to release our heart from it. And this is where faith comes in. Because faith allows us to let go, even though we don't know what will happen when we do and this is important. We don't know what will happen when we let go. When we let go of holding on to something we feel we need. When we let go of our resistance to something we fear we cannot meet or cope with. We don't know what will happen. There are no guarantees. And so we actually have to explore that territory of the unknown. We have to explore what it is to go beyond the certainty, the fixity, and the investing in that certainty and fixity as our place of refuge. Because it's not. Because we see how painful it is to try and bind ourselves to something fixed, to try and fix something as a refuge when it cannot provide that for us. 
So science is actually expressed in letting go. It's expressed in letting go, in the in the releasing of holding, in the releasing of resistance. It's not a belief system. It's not an ideology. It's not about whether I believe in God or the Buddha, or not even whether I believe in teachings. It's about actually the enactment of what we understand to be true of what wisdom reveals to us and it requires the courage of heart to do that courage and faith go very much together there's a story of a man who was walking along a cliff and fell off just slipped on the edge and fell a long, long way down caught himself halfway down on a tree his hands grabbed tightly onto the branch he looked up at a sheer cliff he looked down, it was a long way and below there were sharp rocks and despite having been a lifelong atheist he suddenly thought maybe God can save me and he actually as he was holding tight onto the branch he started to think about this and he thought yeah, this, this has got to be it this is the solution he said out loud he's starting to feel quite keen on this possibility there didn't seem to be any other hope he said God, if you're out there if you save me I'll believe in you and there was this loud rumbling voice apparently in response that's what they all say he almost let go of the branch in shock but he held on tighter starting to feel even more hopeful he said I know God, it's true, if you save me I'll believe in you, I have faith, I can feel it already uh, they all say that when they're in trouble and then as soon as they're safe they just forget no, no, God, this is different, I'm, I'm a true believer I can tell you, this is really this is, this is true faith all you have to do is save me and I'll be so grateful and I'll believe in you forever and so God said, well okay, if you really have faith, I'll save you. Let go of the branch. Let go of the branch? You must be crazy. Like, would we be willing to let go without knowing what would happen? Is there something in the heart that kind of is interested in that possibility, excited? To see that very close to fear, when we actually come deep into our heart, very close to fear is actually a sense of something that might be called excitement or possibility. When we actually see the uncontrollable nature of things, not as something threatening, but as something that actually reveals an infinite number of possibilities, then it has, it has another quality in the way it affects us. It actually starts to beckon more like an invitation it's like saying let go let go into your life and see what you might discover and this is really what we're doing with the practice that we engage in mindfully cultivating attention with the breath and with our experience being present seeing what happens just 
no guarantee that it's going to unfold in a certain way. And yet just trusting that there's something wholesome about this process of seeking to be more awake, more conscious. Engaging in the metta meditation, cultivating loving kindness, even though we might feel at times confused, at times drowsy, at times anything but filled with loving kindness. Nonetheless, just trusting that that intention is really powerful. That those seeds, the seeds of mindfulness, the seeds of loving kindness that we're planting, every time we come back to this moment, every time we bring forth from our heart that wish, may I be happy, may you be happy, that these seeds actually will take root, will grow, will flower and bear fruit in their own time. Actually really trusting, having faith in that. To let go of dwelling. To actually allow ourselves to rest in the form, the unformed flow of experience. And to trust that we actually will float rather than sink. This comes as we actually explore this experientially through the day, through the moment. And that sense of faith, I think, from this process starts to pervade our life more and more. To actually trust in the possibility of transformation. Because obviously we're not here just to stay the same. And yet somehow we can't seem to make it different. We can't make things happen. We can't change ourselves or the world according to our whim or our willpower. And yet somehow in the way in which we interact with it, transformation happens. Not entirely by itself, but nor yet entirely as something we did. We can't claim ownership of the process. And yet sometimes we just notice it happening. I remember, I think it was actually a year or two ago here, at Guy House, I'd been at a long meeting. It was long and it was hard and it was <coughs> difficult, as meetings sometimes are come on retreat to Guy House and think everything's just kind of nice and fun and actually it's lovely indeed as well but there's also an organisation that has meetings you know what meetings are like well listen I'd gone on for hours and I came out of it and my head was hurting my heart was aching actually it was quite some difficult questions being asked and I was just walking out the back um, through the uh, sort of the garages and uh, towards the uh, sort of the, the trees at the back there and, and I was just kind of like oh gosh that was hard we're not feeling particularly connected or sort of bright or uplifted. And just as I was walking through the trees, it was sort of in the early afternoon, um, there was a little rabbit, a tiny little baby rabbit, sitting there in the grass, looking out at the world, which at that moment included me, and it was there. And it was just really amazing. I just see that little nose and those little whiskers twitching away. Something in me just kind of melted. It's kind of like, oh, how sweet, how lovely. And there was this, just a sense of just, ah. And then, of course, the urge to kind of jump over and grab it and cuddle it. And fortunately, I restrained it because it would have obviously terrified the poor little thing. Um, 
but there was something in me that just kind of thought, wow, look at that. There was I, you know, the conditions of the previous three or four hours were a meeting that was long and hard and difficult. And then the conditions changed. I didn't do anything. And yet something happened. And there's that sense of very trusting in the human heart. Trusting in our heart, in your heart, that actually kindness can burst through in the midst of fear or disconnection or frustration. But a sense of relatedness, connectedness can be there that can arise suddenly out of a moment of disconnection. That wisdom can actually dawn in the very territory of confusion and struggle. That we can actually cultivate wholesome qualities of heart and mind. To actually see don't just to notice those places where we struggle and where it's difficult, but notice those places where actually we see wholesome qualities beginning to blossom. That there's a whole degree of uplift that happens for us, that uplifting of the heart, when we acknowledge our good quality, when we acknowledge the, the dawning of insights, even small insights are still significant. And actually there's no such thing as a small insight. Because any, any place where we begin to understand begins to release us from the bondage and the boundness of our life. When we're, when we're bound, when we're entangled through not seeing, as we begin to see more, that boundness, that entanglement actually starts to soften, to loosen, to release. And we feel that as a, as a quality of inner space or spaciousness. We start to sense it as a, as a brightening of possibility. Without knowing what that spaciousness is or what that possibility might lead to. We don't need to know. But uh, even when our heart feels as though it's hardened, it can actually come to life again. And to trust this. To trust this deeply. I often talk on retreats about, uh, and I, I feel myself very moved about sort of the caring for, for other beings and particularly creatures. I really enjoy having contact with animals and particularly wild creatures. I think of it as something in me that's really quite strong. And when I was in Sweden, um, again, this year, not so long ago, at one point um, they, the, the Zen master's cat paid a visit to our, our little uh, apartment and uh, it was really nice to have the cat visit. We were stroking it and how lovely and how nice and I was just really enjoying this little furry creature, another furry creature. But um, we wondered, should we leave it in for the night? And we thought, no, it might wake us up, it might sort of, you know, disturb us. So we put it out after having it had, had the cat in for most of the evening. In the morning when I woke up, went outside, dead mouse outside the door. But the cat had left a mouse out there. And my first thought was, oh, cat, that's horrible. I just thought, oh, yuck, mouse, mm. I hope someone else will get rid of it. I, you know, I, I just kind of skirted around it on the way to the city, to leave the city, and hoped someone else would get rid of it. Meanwhile, I thinking, that cat, oh, that wasn't really very nice. How horrible. Not a thought about the mouse, just, yeah. And I came back after breakfast, and the mouse was still there. I thought, gosh, I guess I've got to do something with it. So I kind of picked it up, you know, just two fingers on the tail, kind of, walked outside, out into the forest. I was just about to throw it into the woods and I thought, I guess it's going to smell if I just do that, so I'd better bury it. So I started walking into the forest. 
I started getting sort of wet leaves on trees and things, and and it's still this kind of a quite unpleasant little bundle basically. I was trying to get rid of, and I sort of scraped away some moss and put it down. And just at the moment of putting it down, I just looked at it and it kind of caught its eye. It was like this. So I said, "Wow, it's a being here." And it was a being. It's, it's died. Its life has ended. And probably not that pleasantly if it was at the hands of that or the claws of that cat. And then just like, just a whole sense of sort of empathy for for this creature and for my life that will also one day end in that that death. And all of us, and and again, just just seeing that seems to something kind of shift. Seeing the heart shift from this basically being a disgusting, repulsive, unpleasant thing I was trying to get rid of, to actually something that could really be touching, could really actually be open. How many so difficult, painful, unpleasant experiences that arise for us? Do we kind of just want to keep it at a distance and bury somewhere? And yet, don't they speak to us about life? About its tenderness and vulnerability? About its preciousness? And its fragility? Don't all those experiences that are difficult speak to us in that way? Don't they ask, perhaps, for us to call forth from our heart another response? <coughs> The cultivation of faith and practice is actually a faith both in life and in our own hearts. That life is actually offering us what we need to wake up. And that our heart, mind, body, our being has within us the capacity (coughs) for that waking up. That this process of practice is one in which which the possibility of awakening perhaps begins for us as some idea that maybe we believe in or maybe we don't. Maybe it's just something we've heard about or read about. Maybe we're not even that interested in it. And yet, amidst the small awakening of our practice, perhaps also the the first faint glimmer of possibility begins to brighten, begins to deepen where we actually start to think quite not really quite knowing what that might be so that actually there is a remarkable potential within this being to awaken to actually be free in the midst of life not apart from it not escaping or departing from what it is to be alive and what would it mean to deeply trust in that have faith in that possibility. Can we just sit quietly, please, for a minute or two?
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.